What is up, everybody? Welcome to Scorch the Fears, episode 86. We've got the great Daniel Kong here. He's a guy I've been following on Instagram. I've been enjoying his content. I was like, I wanted to DM him on Instagram, see if he wanted to come on the podcast, and he said yes. So we've got him here today. Um, I just want to say, Daniel, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. I appreciate the the kind words, man. I mean, the, been putting a little bit of effort into the social media over the last couple of years, and so just... It's been a fun, fun journey over the last few years in real estate and in social media. It's useful, man. I mean, I'm trying to put in way more into my social media because like you get more opportunities given to you and maybe we'll yeah. talk about social media a little bit. But <clears throat> I think it's a great thing to start with, especially as investors, especially as you get more and more successful. So yeah, man, no, happy to have you. Um, and real quick for my audience, just for the people that um, might not, know you real quick give like a little background just real quick on your history as a real estate investor what you do all that good stuff so i was originally a software developer for a very long time went to college went straight out of college was doing software and in 28 the ending of 2018 i read this magical book called rich dad poor dad which blew my Classic. mind 2019, I went started investing out of state using the Burr strategy. 2020 and 2021, I invested in my local state, which is Hawaii, using the Burr strategy. And then after those three years, we were able to build up enough passive income through rental properties and the Burr strategy to replace my job income at my W-2, which after a little bit of negotiating with my wife, allowed me to retire and now just do like a real estate investing full-time, fix and flipping here in Hawaii and buying some commercial and multifamily on the mainland. Love it. Amazing. Awesome. So um, I always start with this question because I always like getting into how you were dealing with like your fears, right? It's called sports of fears. I really, I really like that story too, because it sounds like you were just a regular family software engineer, pretty cushy job generally. So it's even not harder. White, to be honest with you, but I mean, oh, really? <laughs> okay. The company was like kind of known for not paying well, just because the, yeah, it was, but it's, yeah, I just like, I was too lazy basically to like find a, find a, a higher paid job. So that okay, gotcha. gotcha. So, um, what were the fears that you were dealing with? Like, especially right when you were just jumping into mm-hmm. real estate, what fears were you dealing with? I mean, I don't know. Did you have any children at the time? No kids. Yeah. So, no kids. You still had a wife to support and all no, that no stuff. Wife, no wife at the time. It was, it was oh, okay. Of, I was just, when I read 20, in 2018, when I read the book, I was just started like um, dating like my current wife. And so it was gotcha. like, when we went through this process, it was, it was like it was a huge step from my W two to I was like I was I read Rich Dad Poor Dad I was like super excited like, hey passive income and I think real estate investing I want to get into this I have like zero track record and zero knowledge in it so my my girlfriend at the time was like hey like I think you're gonna lose all your money like don't don't like don't be rash and all my coworkers were telling me the same thing they're like bro you so you're you're like you're getting in over your head don't like don't do it like it's like you're gonna and I think like it's like it's like advice out of love right they. They saw that like I was just super excited and emotional. I was like, hey, this sounds like something I really want to do. I was reading, podcasting, just kind of diving into it. But it seemed like a very crazy thing knowing that my track record of just working a software developer job for like the last how many years, like consistently. So, Gotcha. So then still you had all these people, all your coworkers, your girlfriend telling you it's a bad idea. How mm-hmm. did you overcome that? How did you overcome these these 
detractors like how and still doing it anyways like what what motivated you to just push through it you know looking back at like during that time i think one of the things about myself is i'm a very like obsessive person as like a addictive personality thing like when i get into something i'm just kind of like immersed or i'm all in on it i think that really helped me in my journey especially in the beginning because i just dove into like reading and listening to podcasts like 24 7 so like Whenever I wasn't working, I was either like reading a book on real estate investing or listening to like bigger pockets or reading or interacting on the bigger pockets forums on real estate investing. And I think that really helped to kind of like immerse myself in like the voices of like of like the of people who are successful and who are doing it. Right. So like 90 percent of my day is spent with like surrounding myself with all these like success stories or these guys who are like crushing or doing things like very successfully in the real estate space. And I'll get like maybe like 10 or 20 percent of. The naysayers, my friends or family or my coworkers who are telling me not to do it. But like the, the balance of like believing that it's possible is like like I'm surrounding, like filling my day with like listening to like podcasts, reading books or reading on the forums. So I think that played a big role as far as like being able to have the confidence to like say like this thing actually does work. And I'm not a crazy thing like this by myself. Gotcha. Cool. Um, so going going more into how about like your fears like when starting out so there's always like what you're dealing with with your um with your co-workers and all of that mm -hmm. how about like were there any internal fears like anything coming from yourself or like was it more like yeah like just what fears were you dealing with in general i think i mean there's a lot of fears the biggest thing is just the unknown like not knowing what you don't know and I think jumping into this space, it seems very like overwhelming and daunting. So no money, no experience and like no like track record, no relationships at the time to kind of like um, figure it out. And so like, I think it was, it is like just naturally very scary to kind of jump into it. I think the way that I overcome that fear was like just immersing myself in the world. And so going to like, whether it's like going to meetups, whether it's talking to other investors online on the forums or reading books or like listening to podcasts, I think like eventually, like, yeah, I think they, there's like that term where you're like, you're the average of your five friends, right? Like you're the people you hang on the most, you're kind of just going to like either like rise or lower yourself to that level. I think by immersing myself in this community of real estate investors and just entrepreneurs, it kind of like rolls my level of like expectation or what's available or possible to like whatever level that they were on. So I think that really helped me to kind of overcome that, that the unknown, the knowledge gap and all those different things in the, at least in the initial period of just trying to like figure out if real estate investing or this thing is even possible. So I like, I love that answer. It's a great one is get as much knowledge as you can. I feel like I, maybe this is me assuming, but especially the meetups too, right? Mm -hmm. Like at least doing the meetups, then you meet people who are actually doing it. And then you have yeah. someone to talk to if you're dealing with a problem, yeah. right? Yeah. So what, um, what were you looking for at the meetups? Like, did you find any partners that you could do these burrs with? Because the burr, burr is also a little bit of a complicated strategy, especially mm -hmm. at the beginning, right? Um, so I guess I'll say, how'd you choose that one? How'd you choose burr? And then also, how did you have any partners you met at meetups or anything like that that gave you more confidence? Or do you truly just do it completely on your own? You know, to be honest with you, when I first started, I wasn't really going to very many meetups. I had like one friend that I met, I had a friend at church who was kind of doing some out-of-state rentals. And so like that was kind of like all I had when I first started. And I think it was just like the podcast. I think the podcast was a played a big part because bigger pockets, at least at the time, they're like heavily into the burst strategy. That's like all they talked about. 
And so like reading the books, I think like Brandon Turner has the book on rental properties at David Green's long distance real estate investing. Those two books were kind of like the catalyst for me of giving me the confidence or the game plan of how to do it. And I think just my, I think in, it's in my, my past, just like being obsessive or about it. Like the more like I, I like just obsessed over it, the more I felt like it was possible. And so actually in the very beginning, it was just one other buddy who had like had a couple of rentals out of state and the, maybe I went to like one meetup in the first like six months or something that was like the playing the cash flow game or like the, it was, but it wasn't like really heavy on, on the meetups. So in the beginning, it was just me and just, just like using like people in the, in the bigger pockets forums to kind of rely on as far as advice. And then other than that, it's just like, just putting in the effort to kind of like make it happen. Okay. Love it. So really you just did it on your own. Which, which market did you end up choosing? In Indianapolis. So the, okay. But there's a big there's a big investor community within the market. So like within the Facebook groups or the bigger pockets forums, I was asking for advice and I was like asking like getting some feedback. And so there's an investor community like that are embedded in that area. So like as so I was doing it by myself like in Hawaii, but I was also like asking for referrals, asking for advice, and just getting some like like a lay of the land, like boots on the ground as far as just like the, the market that was like kind of like miles away from me. So what would you suggest to someone who's trying to do the burr? Like what, like you're someone who's trying to do out of state burring is that's pretty complicated. I feel like, so what would you suggest to somebody? Like, how would you find a contractor? How would you learn comping? How would you connect with people, realtors on the ground who are actually really good and are going to give you good advice, tell you where the bad neighborhoods are, tell you where the good neighborhoods are. Right. Like, yeah. how would you do all of that? I think like the, the way that I did it was I just read David Green's book, Long Distance Real Estate Investing. I just followed everything that he said. And I think like you don't need to like overcomplicate these things. A lot of times like we're scared because it seems daunting, but you just take one step at a time, like put one foot in front of the other. And it really comes down to just making enough phone calls, looking and analyzing enough deals and just like looking through enough neighborhoods on Zillow or Redfin or whatever it is and talking to enough agents to kind of give you like a really good lay of the land. But you really have to immerse yourself in it and really spend the time to like make those those phone calls, those relationships or like that time with like um, just in, in that market, even though if you're not really like, really living there. Gotcha. So how do you do that? Let's say I'm Jonah. I've never done real estate before my entire life. Okay. What do you do? How do I, how do I, what do I do first? What are the steps well, that read, I actually read, do? Read, read books. And so like to kind of give you a, a like kind of a, a background of where I was, was I was reading maybe like three or four books a week. So like every couple of days I was finishing another book. I think I'm, I'm a fast reader as well too, but like just immerse yourself in the books and like read, like read these books. There's so much knowledge of how to's and like the, just like the information that's available, just for like 10 bucks, like a 10 bucks for like a whatever, like each author, right? And so like you can if you make a subscription to like an Audible or Kindle or whatever that thing is, like just read and consume as much as you can. And then at the same time, listen to podcasts like like yours, like yours or go on the Bigger Pockets forums or your local meetups and just immerse yourself and just start talking to people. And naturally, there's certain things that's going to take a few different times to kind of um, like really sink in. There's other times things will they'll come like just like automatically on the first try, but it just it'll vary on just like how much you're immersing yourself, whether or not it's kind of really gonna soak into like your your brain. Because some of the times in the very beginning, there's just so much in here, it feels like you're drinking from a fire hose. But yeah. then like you just have to kind of hear it over and over and again until it kind of like sticks. And so like all the acronyms, the different kinds of terms these guys are using, it's it can be like overwhelming in the very beginning. Okay. So 
I've heard I'm mainly wholesale. Because my business is mostly wholesaling, the vast majority of it. I also sure. do some creative financing. I'm like a Pace Morby student. I probably do like a, a sub two deal a quarter or something like that. And then I also I've done a, two, a flip before. It wasn't really for me. I didn't like it as much as wholesaling. But um, what um, I've heard horror stories, for instance, where like especially like when you're virtually finding a contractor, finding mm -hmm. one that you can trust or having a contractor mm -hmm. steal money. Yeah, yeah, I want to know from you. This is a selfish thing, and also for the audience, it's how do you find like a good contractor who's not going to screw you and like is mm -hmm. going to just be honest with you, show you the job. How do you keep on them virtually? All that good stuff. So I'll, I'll walk you through the process from A to Z to find an out of state contractor. So number one is you want to make as many phone calls to as many investors, realtors, property managers as possible, and basically like give them as much value as you can because like whether like whether it's reaching out to them on social media, liking their posts, commenting, you want to kind of start off the, the interaction, like giving, giving, giving as much value. At a certain point, you can start like asking or taking, right? Where you're like, hey, would you, do you have any contractors that you would recommend? Or would you like any kind of referrals that you'd be willing to share with me? And so some investors are willing to share, some are, are not willing to share. It's a, it's a wide range. But then if you're like on like, say for instance, if you're in like the, in the Indianapolis market and you go into the Facebook groups, there's a ton of like really solid investors and contractors and property managers who are willing to share their referrals or like their stories or who they like and don't like. And if you kind of look at like a in a little sub market or community, you're gonna see that there's certain like the certain names are gonna constantly rise to the top. There's certain names that everybody's like stay away from this guy, and so certain names are gonna constantly be like, hey, I've used this person and I was really happy with him. Whether it's an agent, a property manager, or a contractor. And so what you wanna do is find the names that are very high on that list because People who are like who have a who have spent time building their name in the community, they don't want to like ruin that name. That's very that's like worth more than money to them. So like right. they're not gonna screw over people if they have like a strong name within that community. So like where there's an agent and inspector, a con I mean a contractor, you want to find everybody who has good names in that community and ask for their advice to refer you to a contractor who also has a good name in the community. And so number one is like referrals, referrals, referrals when you're trying to find a contractor in like in out of state market. So I think. That's the number one thing is you got to put enough time in the market to build enough value that you're giving out to these people. And there's a lot of different ways you can add value. I'm thinking like social media is a, is a great way where you just like constantly like, like mess, I mean, commenting on his stuff or, or liking his stuff. The guy is just going to like you more because he sees your face, right? So, oh, I like, um, I like Jonah. He's always commenting, giving me nice messages. He's, if he asked me for a contractor, maybe I'll give him like my, my B contractor or my C contractor, right? Like a random guy who just messaged you out of the blue, you're like, I'm not going to give you anything because like, why would I give it to you? Right. So like, you just want to build a, build a name, the community, Hey, people's posts on Facebook. They've done a good job. Like, like it or whatever, or talk like that, like, make an introduction to somebody else, et cetera. But you're just trying to like add value to the community where you can actually ask for like referrals or contacts or something along those lines. And so, so what would you recommend? How would you add value, especially at the beginning? Right. Yeah. Like, and, and once you're in real estate, there's all sorts of value you can add. Right. And if you've done a bunch of deals, what value were you adding at the beginning when you were just starting out? So in the very beginning, I was on the bigger pockets forums and I was just like, I was just interacting with people. And so like, mm -hmm. whether it's Facebook or the Facebook groups, so you're going to find the, the, the groups of, of out of state or instant investors who are like the serious guys and just join that group. And then just start build, building like a relationships with people like uh, online, whether it's so in the bigger pockets forums, you're just asking questions and you're responding to questions and you're just talking with people. And I think, like it's, it's kind of formed this like this 
sense of community, right? So like you, you're, you're certain guys are always on the forums every day. They're talking, talking. This all Jonah's always chatting. He's he's like giving his opinion. He's giving his advice. He's also hey, I just read this thing. Like, what do you guys think? And so you're just always just kind of like in that in that loop, and you're kind of like part like a member now, right? So like even if you're just asking questions or just trying to help the maybe the newer guys who doesn't know anything, it's just you just trying to put your voice in that community where you're becoming like a a member of that community. And so like that's why I say like adding value is like you just showing face, giving congratulations to people's finished projects. You're like, hey, that looks a really good, nice rehab. Like, hey, you guys did a great job. Or like, congratulations on your next and your closing, whatever it is, or, or those kind of things. Right? Or you hear another maybe a post that was earlier where people listed like their inspector or like their agent. And someone's like, hey, I need an agent or inspector. He's like, hey, I've heard this guy is really good. Or something. you're just kind of like connecting people together in that community or just trying to make yourself a member of that community who's like a, people like just they dislike you. So you're trying to build like a, a, a good name in that community. So does that kind of make sense? I, I love that advice because I think it's so true. When I think back to like all of my communities that I'm a part of, that how I became a leader in them or how I got people to want to work with me was I would just be asking questions. I'd be offering mm -hmm. my advice to everyone. Mine was these communities called Astral Flipping and Sub 2. I'm really big in these communities. But that was how I did it. That's how I became a leader. And people started looking to me for advice and started sending me deals and sending me resources. So guys, value doesn't necessarily have to, you might not even need to necessarily know anything, but you can be helpful to people and like giving yeah, advice yeah. about like what you've learned from other people yeah. and thereby like almost micro flipping knowledge yeah. might be a way of saying it. Like yeah. I'm just taking what I learned from this person and then I'm helping you out because you have exactly, heard this exactly. person. Yeah. then you become an authority. So I really like that. I think that's a genius idea um, in yeah. general. 100%. Just being a helpful, positive voice in that community, right? And like, so if you're going to be in the honesty community, just like put yourself in that community and just become like a staple member who's contributing whatever that they can in the community. So like that would be like the, the way that you would add value if you don't have like a, a network or things at that point in time. I love it. So um, I'm curious about, why, first off, why Indianapolis? I'm kind of curious. Was it just because it was a cheap market? So, I mean, like, it's this is coming back to my um, computer science nerd uh, background where I was like, okay, like, there is a, if you look at different markets in general, there's an average cash flow or average price to rent ratio where things will cash flow on average better or worse. And so in Hawaii, if you look at the average purchase price versus the average like, rent, it's a terrible cash flow market. Right. But there are other markets in the Midwest where on average, they cash flow higher than other markets. And so what I did was I wrote a script to scrape the turn, a bunch of like turnkey websites, just pull in like, like a thousand of different like um, potential properties and then built in like another script to like analyze them using like rentometer, et cetera. And like I put them into like this little database where you can see like on average the market and then the cash flow that they're producing. And so like there's a certain market that just on average had higher cash flow markets than, than others. I think it was like, Indianapolis, like Memphis, I think Oklahoma City, a few others, Kansas City, where on average, this cash flow is higher than other markets, like say like a Florida or Texas or other parts of the, of the country. And so like the, using that, my um, like little script and database, like Indianapolis was one of like the top two or three like markets for average cash flow for turnkey properties. And so if you're using the Burr strategy on the back end, you want to refinance into a cash flowing property. If you know that the average property cash flow is positive or like on average higher than the other markets, it's easier to find a cash flowing property on your exit. 
So that's like the big reason why. And then from there, once I narrowed it down to like two or three, I looked into like more into like the economics of it. So like Indianapolis, it was like centrally located. It was like a wide diverse of economic drivers. It was like they got Salesforce, Angie's List. There's a sports team. They got the Indy 500, the, the, the Colts, the Pacers. And then so like just from like, a, and then like looking into like the city um, data, it looks like they really invest into the infrastructure and the small business, et cetera. And it was a red state, landlord friendly. So kind of like all these things factored together and they like, and they had a great investor community. There's a few like other small things. I was like, it just made a lot of sense as far from like a investor standpoint to invest in this market. So. Gotcha. And then how, um, how'd you find your deals? I'm curious, like what methods were you using to find your deals? All of them in NFS were all from wholesalers. So okay. the guys like yourself was like, hey, can I be can I add you to my list on the favor on the the Facebook groups? Hey, can I be on your list? I just I probably get like 10 to 15 different deals sent to my inbox every day and I just sort through them. Probably like after every 200 deals, there's like one that makes sense. And like, okay, let's let's go for this one. And then oh, it's exactly. taken away. Okay, now I'm like it was too fast. And so like it's just you're just analyzing deals until like it's there, until like it, you can find ones that actually make sense for the birth strategy. Gotcha. Cool. Um so I'm really curious right now because I feel like with interest rates so high, the mm -hmm. burst strategy seems really hard because you're mm -hmm. having to refinance at like a 7% interest yeah. rate. Yeah. Are you pivoting at all? Or are you still doing the burst strategy even with these interest rate hikes or what's it, what, has it still been the burr or what's been the strategy recently? We're getting creative with our birds. I think we, the idea of the burst strategy is the, like really you're trying to trap the equity. And so like, I guess here, maybe I'll ask the answer it a different way is it matters in what's important to you at this point in your career. So when I first started, it was all about cash flow because I wanted to leave my W2. So I was more concerned about the cash flow than the actual like equity or wealth that I was building. But and now at this point in my career, when we have the cash flow, we have like the cash reserves, we have the access opportunities. Now the cash flow is not as important as just building my general net worth. And so in the birth strategy, the idea for me now is at least is to trap the equity that I that I got from like the, the, the project and then either move it like into a cash flow now or in the future. So like in a Hawaii deal, let's say like it's gonna sell like it's gonna like appraise for like a million dollars in the back end, and I've got like it all in for at like seven hundred thousand. I've got like a bunch of like equity trapped in there. I can either sell it as a fix and flip or hold it as a long-term rental, it might cash flow a little negative for the next year, but I have a, a different options. I can either try and Airbnb it where it'll be like a positive cash flow at that point, or I can like keep it negative for one year because I have the cash reserves to stomach that. At the end of the year, I can either 1031 or sell it and do a cost sake into like a larger asset, like a commercial property that is going to cash flow turnkey or from, from day one. And so like that's actually what we're pivoting right now is that we're trying to keep all of these projects that have a lot of equity trapped that we can keep them refinance them into long-term debt and then a year or two years later decide do we want to turn this into like a, a commercial property or are we going to try like Airbnb during that time so it's kind of like a, a two, either two-step process or we're trying to be more creative with these deals I love it so like when you were when you were just starting out I mean what's your I'm curious like what's your team look like right now is it just is it just you or is there a lot more? I mean, obviously you have contractors and stuff like that, but do you have like more of a team that's doing more of the different parts now? Yeah, we have a pretty big team actually. Like so when I first started, you're doing everything yourself, but slowly you were like as I had more success in the mostly flipping in Hawaii, like add like an admin, add this. And so we have like maybe like 10 employees or something like that. Like a bunch of full full timers, local, some full timers. I mean, 
on the on the virtual and some like part-timers so we have a pretty big team now i think we got like a full-time project manager full-time admin full-time accountant lender relations full-time acquisitions manager some part-time guys social media a podcast producer uh like task runner okay. another mls guy i mean a bunch of accountants i mean there's so we have a bunch of a pretty big team now that we are kind of had some success and be able to afford like a payroll so i love it then so how do you how did you have any fears with that with hiring or anything like that or upgrading like what were the fears that you i guess the question really is so you were dealing with fears of everything's new knowing the unknown all of that stuff as you're trying to get success you're doing a few burrs what were the new fears that you had to overcome i mean definitely like hiring is a is a big fear i mean like the number one is i don't have the skill set of being able to manage people or even like in the percent even having like a payroll like a like a like a W-2s, but then like in the beginning, so it's just, it's all 1099, 1099 or virtual assistants when I started and can I afford this expense? And so like, I think like you, like my strategy, at least like, or like the, the best way to do it, I think is to become so successful. I mean, like make so much money and where like it's mixed, it's like not having another person is holding you back. So like, let's say like, you're going to do like, you'd be a realtor or an investor or a flipper. Like if you only do like three or four deals, like you don't really need to hire anybody else, but let's say now you got five, six, and you're like you're swamped with the amount of like opportunity available. Now it makes sense to bring somebody else on so that you can like like uh, spread out or even grow like or grow bigger. I think the mistake a lot of guys make is like they don't have any income coming in and they want to start hiring because like they're lazy because they don't want to cold call they want to do this. But I think that's the wrong approach to take. I think you should like do everything yourself until you're so successful that like your um, either your job or your, like your not hiring is holding you back from like that because so it's, it's almost like a no brainer at that point. So. I, that's just my personal opinion of how I think like the, the healthy way to scale or to kind of like build a team or to grow. Now I'm kind of curious, like, did you think about how, when you were strategizing, like what you were going to go into? I mean, it sounds like you went with the bird just because bigger pockets was talking about yeah. it a lot. You really wanted to leave your W2. Yeah. But were you thinking at all about like your personality type, like what you were really good at and what you were really bad at, and then like focusing in on what you were really good at? Cause I sense that you're doing that. As like a software engineer, you're more like an integrator type. You're more focusing mm -hmm. on processes and stuff like that. I think flipping is really good for that. I think burring is really good for that. Mm -hmm. And you were initially just getting them from wholesalers. So you were like not worrying about like sales or anything like yeah. that. Am I correct about that? Did you think about that at all when you were coming up with how you were going to create your business? I mean, that would have been a smart way to do it. But for me, <laughs> it was just like I didn't, I didn't have like much of a plan, honestly. I was like, hey, like let's get into investing. Like I have a W-2 from nine to five, from five to 12, let's just see what we can do. Like, you know, and just like, and I think it's, it's like, uh, I had to learn a lot of skills that I was not comfortable with. So whether it's like leading a team or like learning sales, when I started, like when I bought from the wholesalers, it was very easy because there's just, just numbers, there's no like human interaction involved. But when I started marketing in Hawaii, we don't really have wholesalers over here. So you have to find your own deals. And I had to like read a bunch of books on like sales and like marketing and like means talking to sellers face to face just practicing in the mirror, like going on like a lot of appointments, I just getting rejected. Like, so like that, I had to develop the skill set in my local market to be successful as a flipper. That was a different skill set than I was like managing projects as a, honestly, a burn investor in Indianapolis. But it's just a constant, like a continuation of just evolving your skill set. And I think as entrepreneurs or 
people in general is we always want to be growing, you know? And so I think when I first started, I was like, Hey, I want to do like this, this size deals. And over time, I want to do bigger deals. And you're trying to find like, what's the next thing that's going to give you like the, the, the most opportunity, but also as you're going to the different levels, there's a different level of skill and problem that you're trying to solve. And so when I was first starting, I was like trying to raise $20,000 was like a huge deal for me. I was like, it was like $20,000 was like, was like a mountain of money, you know? Like, right. like now, like we spend probably like a, 70 grand a month like my my credit card bill is like stupid like every month and so, like, it's just, but it's just like uh, it's like evolving over time and like the the problems that we're solving now is like way bigger than the problems that i was solving then and i've just grown as an investor and as an entrepreneur to be able to solve these problems and i think if you to throw 23 and 23 daniel in the 2019 like arena i would like crush it like you know and, like have no problem but if you throw 2023 daniel into like 2020 seven i would struggle like really bad because i'm not ready to solve those problems or to like to mm. do those things and so i constantly have have to like okay work on myself and like spend time thinking growing and especially like leading a team and like having employees is a way different skill set than being an investor so as an investor you're talking to you're getting money and you're getting deals and you're talking to like contractors but as a team leader or a business owner now there's all these like financial and accounting things that you have to like, keep track of your cash flow you got to keep your employees motivated. There's like an HR piece. There's all these different kinds of skill sets that as you're kind of going through the different levels, you're slowly picking up and kind of having to like elevate your game. And so when I first started out of state, no sales, like salesmanship was, was necessary. I don't have to talk to anybody. I used to do everything over the internet, like my, my forums and like just like um, chatting or whatever. Now when I'm at my local market trying to fix the flip and talk to sellers directly, I'd have to develop the skill set of being able to talk to somebody face to face, being able to work with a seller, go over their options and kind of like get help them in whatever situation that, that, that they're they're in. I love it. So then like, how do you deal with new challenges? Because like, that's a lot of different new challenges. That's like a completely yeah. different game than doing burrs in Indianapolis and just talking to wholesalers, yeah. right? How do you, how do you, when you have to like level up, right? Because my personal yeah. belief is your self-development is directly correlated with your yeah. the amount of income you have like it's it's yeah. you have to become to become a, to earn a 20 million dollars you have to become a 20 million dollar man right 100%. one million dollars one million dollar man right like that's it's it's always directly correlated what um is it just jumping in and trying new stuff or like what is it that or is there anything that you feel like is really necessary to start leveling up your skills I think like you have to like be aware of it and like take it seriously. And so I think one thing is you can't just jump from 1 million to 20 million, right? It's a gradual process. And yet and there's like a lot of in-between steps and like a daily consistent like improvement that you really have to be willing to put in. I think a lot of guys like they, they see like the $20 million CEO and they're like, I just want to go from like 500,000 into the 20 million. But it really is like that, those daily like improvements, whether it's reading, whether it's like getting feedback, whether it's getting coaching, whether it's like doing like introspective thinking or like listening to podcasts, it's like a constant, slow, slow, steady progression where you're trying to like look at where you've been, how can you get better? And like, like you said, just working on yourself. And there's like a ton of different ways to work on yourself. But I think just uh, constantly setting aside time, energy and money to work on yourself or to become better at your craft or wherever you're trying to go is like is a key point uh, component of trying to level up to the different levels. So what are some of the different ways, right? You mentioned reading books. Books. What else? What are other ways that people should level up? Coaching. Like in the beginning, I was super anti-coaching. Like the, I know bigger pockets in the beginning, they're like, they're like these girls. And so I was like, I don't want to pay any money for any coaching, like whatever kind of stuff. And so, 
And that was like my mindset. I can learn everything I can from books. And so like from books and podcasts, I think in, especially in the very beginning, like it'll take you to exactly where you need to be to like to hit a certain level. But at a certain point, it was like it's getting around other like I think like master like masterminds are super helpful. So like uh, a lot of this thing is like is like it's really mindset. I know like people are like it sounds woo woo and it sounds like a, a cop out answer, but honestly like mindset plays such a huge role in your ability to succeed in these different things. But so just surrounding yourself with other guys who are like either a little above you or far above you and trying to get into those rooms and. Now like, I pay like a, a stupid amount of money for coaching and just like for first for friendships, I'll pay money just to be friends with like a, a guy who's successful. And so like this past year we spent like um, we bought one-on-one -on -one coaching with Ryan Pineda, which is a hundred thousand dollars. So like that's right. stupid to me. I mean like that, but I mean now where I am now is like it's so worth it because I feel like he'll take me to where I'm trying to go faster. But I think back before I was like I was super anti-coaching. But if you just do coaching, but you don't like invest into it or you can like try and extract the most out of it you're just wasting your money so like anytime you pay for coaching just be prepared for like it's like 80 percent work by you and then 20 percent by your coach like you just have to be prepared like you're still going to put in the work you're still the one who's going to hold yourself accountable you're still not to be the one that's going to be asking and pushing the relationship and the process forward but your coach is going to just help you like navigate or supercharge or speed um, fast track like your your process and so you still have to put in the work. It's still you doing it faster, but your coach can just like help you navigate and make it the most efficient amount of work that you're going to be doing. So I coaching. love it. I, I'm also so pro the right coaches, yeah. right? Like if you, yeah, you got to find the right person, right? Because like, yeah. if you choose yeah. the wrong person, if you choose someone who's like, hasn't done a deal in 10 years, you're really yeah. screwed. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there are a lot of terrible coaches out there, mm -hmm. but I would not be where I am without coaches. Like I, mm -hmm. I'm part of like two different mentorships. I've got my own personal coach for, mm -hmm. um, just my, just a life coach who just keeps yeah, me on yeah, my goals yeah. and keeps yeah. me on my tracks. Right. Like basically I'm going to play, I'm going to be adding coaches for like everything. I'm probably going to have like, I'm going to have like a fitness coach, nutrition coach, yeah, that's probably a dating coach eventually, mm -hmm. like yeah. literally just like a coach for every part of my life that I'm trying to improve. Right. And I'm so much of the opinion that like that, like that doing one-on-ones with Ryan Pineda is a hundred thousand dollars. I think that's amazing for like flipping and burning stuff like that mm -hmm. and growing your business to what you want to grow it to. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, what do you want to grow to? Like, where, what are your goals? Where are you trying to, what are your goals right now? Where are you trying to go? I think, I mean, there's a, so like number one, I think I had different goals before I started with meeting with Pineda. I wanted to like do all these things. Like I have like a, big, big dreams, but Panetta basically told me like, bro, like you have to like, like buckle down on your, your flipping, get this like a lot more profitable, a lot more efficient and like a lot more like a streamlined where you're not in it. It's so, like, number one, I'm just trying to get the, the fix and flipping to be a more efficient, profitable and like hands off like business. And then we're pairing that with uh, commercial properties and multifamily investing. So right now it's kind of like a the fix of Philippines is like the main focus and getting this like like better in all different aspects. But then we're also adding in uh, commercial properties in Kansas City and then multifamily investing like across the U.S. And so from there, once we like get to that next that next level, then it'll be like where should we go next? We're also looking at some small businesses and stuff, but just more passive income for me and my team, and then also just more active income for everybody involved. I like it. I think I this is my personal view of of the levels people should go to and you can tell me what you think of it. I'd be interested to hear what you think of it. My, I feel like everyone should have like a baseline, their first business, the active income, the thing that pays their bills and like yeah. getting that 
automated as much as possible. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. one thing. That's like level one. For you, it's fixing the thing. For me, it's wholesaling, right? Yeah, Getting yeah. that as automated as possible. Then two is really big wealth generation, something like multifamily, commercial. Mm -hmm. um, for some people, that could just be owning an insane amount of single family rentals. It depends yeah, on the yeah, person. Yeah. Right. And then the third is owning, it's like starting to buy businesses because yeah, yeah. I feel like that's like the end goal. I think if you're trying to become insanely wealthy, because yeah. that's how like the really, really wealthy, that's what they do is they buy businesses in the end. Yeah, right. Yeah. Real estate. I think the middle level is really important for like the tax benefits. I mean, you get all of that mm -hmm. also with your burring, right. But yeah. having some active income that just makes you rich, then wealthy and then mm -hmm. really freaking wealthy. I don't know. That's what that's my plan. So I'm curious. Like, I percent agree with that. I think like that. That's a super super healthy and like practical way to like to look at it. Is like just getting your active income. And it doesn't have to be a business. It could be like maybe your W two. Like we have like a big opportunity, and then you pair that with real estate to like offset your tax liability, but also like build your wealth like horizontally, where you're making money while you sleep, right? So like your wealth is rising as like the appreciation, cash flow, loan pay down, and all those different things are happening. And then like you're just scaling that thing and then eventually like small business acquisition and flipping and like um like uh, repositioning is like there's an insane opportunity over there but it's like it's a it's kind of like a big boys game in my opinion but like it's a it's like there's like a huge amount of opportunity in that space i think in the small business or love it i love it and then so um what uh what do you feel like are your, do you feel like there are any fears that might be holding you back right now? What do you feel like is holding you back from getting to the next level right now? The thing is, I think it's, it's a internal thing and it's like, it's, it sounds stupid, but it's, it's like mindset, right? I believe I'm like a million dollar a year person. It's hard for me to conceive myself as like a $10 million a year person. And I think mm -hmm. it's a, I'm just like that. I think I'm a 10 employee boss or ceo like you know it's hard for me to envision of myself as a hundred per like see um hundred employee ceo or boss it just like i just can't like even though i want to say that i i am like it just i'm not there yet so i think like the fear of like even growing too fast or like having like to be able to solve these bigger problems i think that's a big thing that i have not overcome yet that i'm gonna slowly need to kind of like wrap my around mind around and then overcome but i think i mean i've come a long way where when I was first starting and before real estate, I was like, I just want to make six figures. That's like my only goal. If I make six figures, I've made it, you know? And so that was like level one, but like, as I've kind of like, uh, had some different successes, you kind of slowly rise up to the next level where I look back, back then I'm like, wow, like that's for me, six figures. Like that's like the, like the, like, so such a small, like, um, goal or ceiling to put on myself, you know? But like, just, I think there's a lot more opportunity out there that I can get to, but like just, I don't, mentally have like the bandwidth or like the ability to imagine myself or really believe that I, I can't do it at this point in time. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I feel like it's one of those things where it's just like, I, this was like an Alex Hermosi quote where mm -hmm. I think it, I'm going to butcher the quote, but it's something like you just have to, instead of saying daily affirmations to yourself, stack an, uh, an insane amount of evidence yeah, that yeah. you are the person that you say yeah. you are. So I think it'll just be stacking like more yeah. evidence and then you'll be like, getting there basically yeah. I, yeah I know it's cool what you're talking about and I 100% agree with that yeah yeah that's like yeah it's a great one um so what I'm curious do you have any coaching programs you recommend like that you feel like are really good ones or any masterminds or mentorships or anything like that you feel like man I'm so glad I did that one and 
when do you think someone should start doing their coaching? Like, should it, it should it be at the very beginning? Should it be maybe when you've done your first deal, or should it be like you when you've done quite a few deals? What do you think? Number one, I think that well, there's two that I really like. I mean, that I'm a part of their Pineda Ryan Pineda's program. I think the dude is just smart, and I think there's just a lot, a lot of like good things in that community. And another one is WNN, which is like I'm another also part of. It. It's like a, a local guy who kind of started it. It's kind of like it got a little bit bigger, but it's just um, basically he's like a big investor in Kansas City in commercial and single family, and like it's a I think it's a solid program. But to answer your second question, I think it really depends, and like you know, just like the 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 um, lawyer the lawyer answer, right? But I think like number one, you have to be like prepared to put in like the time, energy, and effort that a coaching program requires. Because I think a lot of people go into coaching programs thinking like, once I pay the money, I'm gonna like, it's gonna make, I'm gonna, it's, it's gonna come to me easy and I have to do less work. But right. in my opinion, once you join the, the coaching program, now you wanna put in more work because you're gonna have to like, the, the coaching program is gonna require you to put in more effort than you would without it. So like, if you don't have a coaching program, you can kind of just cruise, go at your own pace or do what you want. But I think once you join a coaching program, now like you have like the, the there's a bike that you have to like ride or a boat that you have to row, and it's going to require a lot of time, energy, and effort that you're going to have to carve out and put invest into this thing. And so, if you're not prepared to put that time, energy, and effort, it's just going to be like throwing money away. And so, like I think like the in the very beginning, if you don't have money, I wouldn't recommend joining a coaching program because I think like. Don't get over your head like in credit cards or different different kind of things. Like there's so much right. like, free opportunity that you can like that you can find or like information or meetups or groups that are free that you can get to like a certain level with a relatively ease. And it's just like the the only thing coaching program does is it's gonna accelerate your growth faster. So I think like like the people who are successful with a coaching program would be successful without it. They just would be like successful faster with the coaching. So like. I would get to where I am today with without Pineda, but it would take me like seven years, right? But with Pineda's coaching, it'll get me to that seven-year mark in two years because I'm able to like get like navigate it like like faster. So I think like don't think like if you don't do coaching, you'll still be successful as long as you're the right person and you put in the work. But then if you're ready and you have the funds and you're willing to put in the effort, now do coaching because it'll get you to where you are faster, even though you would have gotten there eventually. 100%. I 100% agree. I mean, like, it just makes it, it just short. What you're doing is you're shortening your time, and time is the most valuable asset any human can have. So you're basically yeah. just time traveling, yeah. more or less, by coaching, right? Um, how do you choose the right coach? How do you know who's going to be right for you? I think it's so that it matters on, like, what your goals are. I mean, there's, like, what are your resources that you have now? what are your and what are your goals right and, so, and also like your personality type and kind of like what you what you what's important to you different coaches are good at different things and so like the like a pinena and a place marby like they're they're very different both both successful but they're going to appeal to like a different audience and a different kind of goal that you're trying to reach i think number one is you want to make sure that they're vetted and there's like people that you either you know personally or who can recommend you that they have friends who are in the program that are like are actually like getting what they think they, they like getting value out of the program, right? Because there's a lot of like newer coaches or people who are just starting where they they promise a lot, but there's no like really track record or substance to what they're what they're preaching. So I think having a coach with a track record of success personally, but also students who are seeing success is like a good, uh, I guess, initial indicator to see like that that's the bare minimum that you need. Then on top of that is like what kind of um, how much do they charge? How much money do you have available? And then what are your goals and how is this going to coach going to really help you to achieve or get there faster?
cool. Um, so yeah, I mean, I love it. I think coaching is amazing. What, so, okay. So we went from Burring in like 2018, 2019. I kind of want to hear a little bit of the story of like, when did you, why did you decide to start doing different things other than going from Indianapolis and then starting to go back to your home market and then starting to do flipping, right? Like what started changing your mindset? I want you to go a little bit more into your story, even though I know I'm jumping around. Yeah, so when I first started, the goal was cash flow, cash flow, cash flow. I wanted to quit my W-2. And so, like, I had this, like, machine that I was building in Indianapolis at the time. I was like, hey, I did six birds the first year. But then, like, long story short, like, in the beginning, I had no money. I borrowed a bunch of personalized credit and from my 401k to do those first deals. So I had, like, 150 and just, like, access to funds that I'd have to pay back and, like, recycle, recycle through. And so with that 150, I was able to do six birds in Indianapolis. I was like, hey... If I had 300 or 500, I could do 10 or 20 birds a year and just like supercharge this machine that I had going in Indianapolis. But I needed more cash to kind of like to keep on recycling. So like in Hawaii, it's a terrible burr market, but it's a great flipping market because the price points are high, but also the profit margins are high as well too. So I was like, hey, this skill set now I feel comfortable. Like the so the burr is basically a fix and flip that you that you keep, right? So like the skill set was there. I was like, hey, I feel a little bit more comfortable with the process. Let's take the skill set that I developed in Indianapolis to my Hawaii market, do some fix and flipping here, build up some cash flow, and then I can supercharge this, this burr machine I have in India. Let's do like 20 or 30 like burrs a year and just like build up my, my cash flow that way. So that's my initial plan. When I came to Hawaii, I realized like it's such a difficult market. I had to like level up my skill set of sales and finding deals, like all the different kinds of things. Eventually, I got very lucky in the first few deals I did where they actually like turned into bird deals. It's like, I really was looking for flip deals, but then I got very lucky where these just turned out to be like good cash flow on the backside. And so like I actually bird the very few first few deals I did in Hawaii. And then like when I realized it was like the, the bird deals I did in Hawaii was like equal to like 10 in Indies as far as like the equity and the cash flow and different things like that. So like after I got a taste of the Hawaii market, I was like, okay, now, for my time, it doesn't make sense for me to spend my time in Indianapolis when I'm getting so much cash flow, so much equity, and so much wealth building in Hawaii. So that's why I was like, once I got up for the, the first few deals under my belt in Hawaii and had like a massive success, I was like, now nah, I'm not going to go back to my Indian market. It just doesn't make sense anymore. So from there, it was just sticking with the Hawaii market. And then whenever I can't burr, like the, there's no cash flow, there's not enough equity to pull out, it turns into a flip, which was just, that's like that. Just trying to get as good deals as you can. But as you know, the bird deals, like they have to be pretty big because to like um, to refinance out all your money, like you got to be all in at like 70 or 75%, right? And so right. With flipping, you got to be all in at like, you know, like 80%, you can still make, a, still make a profit. So eventually yeah. I was just trying to get as many great deals as I can in Hawaii. The ones that I could burn, I'll burn. If I can't burn, then I'll just sell them and just make turn into cash. And so I just started building a machine and building like a marketing machine and then like a, a, a project management, all the contractors. So I built all the pieces in Hawaii and like putting all this time, energy and effort into Hawaii where like it was just like, it makes sense to just stay here and focus here. This is the biggest like ROI on my time. So that's gotcha. like into the Hawaii market. Okay, makes sense. And then what... Um... Like specifically, what were your challenges? Was it just finding the deals now because there aren't as many wholesalers, or is it what like what was so different from your skill sets in Indianapolis that you probably to get new ones in Hawaii? Finding deals is like the most important and the hardest thing I think in the Hawaii market. But then like along that, I still had to navigate things like permitting and like contractors, and like I ripped off like for like the 
and just not knowing what you're doing. In the beginning, I was also trying to do the work myself because like, hey, I want to like learn. Now that I'm in Hawaii, I can I can't do the work. So I was like on YouTube. I bought a bunch of tools and like just different things. And so like, it was a it was a process. There was like a like many challenges, I think. But the number one biggest challenge is just finding great deals. So like uh, beginning your marketing, like your your marketing team and your acquisitions like really solid. But so I think that's the biggest challenge in the in the Hawaii market. And how was that? Because I mean. I assume as a software engineer, usually mm -hmm. software engineers aren't usually like the most social people in the world. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. generally probably like sales doesn't like a hundred percent come naturally to you. Yeah, How'd you yeah. navigate that? How'd you navigate having to acquire skills that even you um, are like not as naturally personality wise suited for Cause I think that could be really interesting for people to know like, how do you how do you develop yourself to do things that even your personality yeah. doesn't really suit you for? I mean, so it was the same way as just the same way that I I just started like uh, really investing, just immersing myself. So I read like a ton of books on like just like uh, speaking, like salesmanship. I went to like there's like a I forget what it's called like the um, they can go to like this little like local chapters where like they give speeches. I can't think of remember the name. The, um, they have like competition, speech competition and stuff. Like it's a, but like I forget what the name, but it's like it's there. They're all over the country, but then like just going to like the these like like talking things, reading books, practicing in front of the mirror, listening to hours and hours of like sales and like YouTube and just like uh, doing like practice call role call or like role playing with other investors and just kind of immersing myself in that role and then just failing, 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 failing. Like talking to like invest like sellers and cold calling like like hundreds thousands of people i mean just it was like uh just a trial Wait, by did fire. you get on the phone did you start cold calling people dude i was like cold calling like yeah probably like eight hours a day like i'm just, That's I'm, just crazy. Like, I'm just doing whatever like i can like you know i'm like I just like just whatever i can to like just get 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 the reps in get like get better in my craft and like whatever it is it's like that it's like in the beginning cold calling is very scary but like after you got like like after you do like a hundred, like it's honestly like it's just like it's it is what it is. Like you know, like you're gonna do you get. You feel like, like that's the best way to do it. Like I'm just curious, like if you've thought about this, like where, because like it's interesting. I feel like at the beginning, especially of like entrepreneurs' development, they feel like they have to have done every single role in mm -hmm. order to become really good at it and be able to yeah. like manage it and teach it. How do you yeah. feel now? Like, do you ever do it where you like you're at the point? Cause there's going to be eventually a point where it's like, I can't like mm -hmm. be that guy who like literally learns how to do something with commercial, yeah. right. Or something yeah. with multifamily. I've got like a whole other business run. I need to just yeah. hire somebody who knows how to do it. Do yeah. you feel yeah. like, do you feel like you should do it first always? Do you feel like you should always hire it out and just hire somebody who has really the experience? Or do you feel like, maybe some middle ground between that when it's a new skill set what how do you feel about that do you feel like that was the which is the best way to go you feel like i think it so like this is like again it's, it depends it's like on like your your resources and then like where you are in your that point in your life because if you have no money don't you can't hire anybody you have to do it yourself right it's like you don't really have a choice and then like the the thing about like if you start with money when i see people who like start, even myself but like now they have money and money can make you lazy where like you're just gonna hire it out or you're just gonna like pay somebody to do this, but then you don't really have eyes on it. You don't know how good of a job they're doing. You don't really understand like the how, where your money is going. And it's kind of like a bleeding into like this, this unknown where like you're just wasting your money at that time too. So like 
if you've actually done it before, you understand it or you know how to track it and recognize like a, a good job or not, that helps you to spend your money like better in that way. And so this is how I did it when I was in the renovation. Like when I first started the renovations, I did all, or I tried to do as much as myself and I like watched a bunch of YouTube, super huge fails, but I'm so glad I did that because now when I hire contractors, I understand the different like trades that are involved and like the time and energy that it takes. And so like long story short, I think if you have the capacity to do it yourself in the beginning, I think it's always best. But then like if you start with money and you want to like kind of shortchange like your thing where you can hire it out and like go to that route, I think it's possible. And at a certain point, it does make sense, but it's also like not always going to be the most efficient when it comes to like the, the return that you're going to get from like that, your efforts. If that kind of makes sense. Yeah, no, that does make sense. Um, no, I definitely get that. Um, gotcha. That's an interesting way to think about it. So in terms of like, how would it, where should I go from here? So like in the terms of like the self development of yeah. like those skills, yeah. I think it's just so interesting to talk about because it's something it's like, cause my personal philosophy at this point, I agree like where you're um, when you're broke, obviously don't hire somebody. You don't have any money yeah. to pay anybody. Right. Um, but it is interesting to think about like, there are certain things like cold calling. Like I would always say like, if you don't hire a cold caller before you've done some cold calling. And yeah. there are other things like, your accountant where like I, mm -hmm. you should, I'm never going to do any accounting, like, right. Like I'm going to mm -hmm. hire an accountant to be able to do my taxes and stuff mm -hmm. like that. So I don't know. It's a very interesting thing to think about of like when you should balance that, like are you personally doing it versus you just hiring it out. Yeah. This is, this is something also that I've kind of found and I've heard other guys say this in similar things is what's going to get you from here to here is not what's going to get you from here to here. So I think in the very beginning, if you're going for like me, like one to like a million dollars a year, that's the hustler. Like you have to hustle. You have to like get everything done. Like you're learning all these, these skills. You have to drive the ship. Like it's all your time, energy, and effort and skill. Obviously, you can like hire things here and there, but it's really like you. When you're trying to go from maybe from like one million to ten million or or like a whatever different level, now you have to become a delegator, where you have to delegate this and you have to pay for people because you can just hustle your way like to to that next level. So I think like having the drive in the very beginning of this being having the hustle mindset of just doing whatever it takes to get it done, I think is like super healthy. And then when you're first starting, but at a certain point, you're going to have to start to delegate and actually hire or like not make sure like you're spending your time in the most like high value dollar way that you, that you can. And then from there, and then after that it becomes you're hiring, like you're super delegating or you're just hiring the leaders and they're kind of like figuring things out. So like, I think it matters on what level of business where your, your skill set, your resources and like your income. So all those things kind of come into play as was, whether that you should do it or you should hire it out and or even have the opportunity to hire it out. I like it, my man. So we're starting to get closer to the end of the podcast. So I really want to, there are certain questions I always like asking at the end of the podcast as sure. well. And one of my favorites are, is when you're, if you could go back mm -hmm. to Daniel, right when he's starting 2018, yeah. what would you tell him now knowing everything or sorry what would you tell them then knowing everything you know now i think number one is the network and go to more meetups i think when i first started i was super anti-education and i was super anti like not super anti-meetups but I just it wasn't a priority for me but i think the i would tell him to go to more meetups and i think i'd tell him to buy education but be like willing to spend the time and energy and effort when you get the education so like just buy some education early but like 
the same energy and effort that I was putting towards my like my free stuff, just apply like plow that same energy and effort into like the some education stuff, which was slowly like would shortcut my my uh, my journey by a little bit. But other than that, and then just I mean like just practical things like you would give all the advice like how to navigate the permitting or just start in Hawaii, yeah. like you know, like the, the most efficient. So like it's a uh, because even you tell now, them to start in Hawaii. That's interesting. Is that because? because- I, mean, I mean, just like the ROI on your time. So like the if you, I basically like lost a year of investing in Hawaii by starting in Indianapolis, even though it was like very profitable and it, it worked a lot. Really, I mean, like it was so good. But like, like now, I mean, like maybe I'll just start in commercial properties because like the this where is like your best ROI on your time like that you can handle. So like I think just depending on like where you are at, I mean, like different levels. The, you're going to get a better return for the same amount of effort that you're putting in. So like we're always trying to find like the bigger leverage opportunities. I think Carmody talks about this, about the lever, right? Like the, the bigger lever, the bigger the um, the, um, the input and outputs. And then so and also social media, I think social media has been huge for me in the last couple of yeah, years. Yeah, let's talk about that real quick before we end it. Like how, like I, you, you, like I, how did you decide to start doing so much social media? How have you been, why'd you get into social media and how have you been growing it? So it's a, so a funny story. A lot of guys have a very similar one. So I went to a Pineda event, I think like two years ago. And I noticed like, so I was like a like, like medium investor and there's some other investors in things where there's guys there who are just absolutely crushing it, like making like a million dollars, like a month, like stupid money, like just crushing it as businesses or business owners, but has zero social media presence, right? Mm-hmm. Then there's these other guys, like they did like two deals in the last like three years, but they're all over social media. And you're looking at like the value, like the, the, those are the guys that are getting invited into the back room. Those are the yeah. guys and speakers I want to talk and, and connect with. Those are the ones that everybody around the thing want to get their resources and partner with is the guys who are on social media with 40,000 followers and like two deals. The guys are crushing like a million dollars a month and zero social media. Nobody's talking to these guys. And so I was like, there was like this ah moment that clicked. And was like, there is actually a currency of like value when you're on social media that you're getting this disproportionate to your skill set or ability. And so it's like, and then at the, at the event, Pineda, obviously he came from like zero to nothing just on social media, to be honest. I mean, like he's also a great business owner and he has a, a honestly a semi, semi-decent flipping company. But I mean, like his real growth was from social media and his education and his other things. And so you look at that, that, that driver, like how that propelled him. I was like, there was just this aha moment that kind of clicked in me at that event for Pineda. And he's a huge advocate of social media. So I was like, hey, from that day forward, I'm going to post on my social media or Instagram every single day and I'm not going to miss a day for the next year. So then like this over that, the course of that year, I just like, I like, there's some days like, I have like nothing to post, but you just have to find something like, you know, so like you struggle through it. And then like over time, you just get better and better at it. Whether like it's finding like how to find hooks, how to like connect with your audience or how to have better quality, your captions, just like overall your process of how you're going to get the script, the reels and get them out, different kinds of things. And so like, it just, it's a continuing process, just like an investing where, the more reps you get in, the more daily, like, um, like consistently you just like put in the effort, you slowly just get better. And then your following grows here and there. I got a few like lucky viral videos that kind of like supercharged me. But at the same time, it was just like a, that decision and that aha moment, like two years ago at a Panetta event, it was kind of like the, the, the impetus that kind of just started my whole snowboard journey to like where we are now. I love it. I love it so much. So then what do you feel like is like, how do you grow a social media following? Let's just ask that. I know I, I, we're at the very end, but I kind of wanted to throw there's, that there's in there. There's two quick. books. There's two books I highly recommend. It's both of them are by Brendan Kane. It's like a million followers in 30 days and Hook Point. But those are like I'm two great books that will kind of like break down. Like, so if you're looking at social media, the way that you get grow is like 
you want views and watch time. You just want people who are like who are gonna connect with your 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 product, and um, the, just really like I mean, you, you just have to have good good stuff and over consistency over a long period of time. And I think those two books kind of help break you down as far as like what you really need to like do to 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 do that. And then you just gotta experiment and just kind of put in the reps and the hard work to kind of get better at your craft and to get more content out. So the more content that you put out the better you get at it, right? You might suck in the beginning, but then, and the better you get at it, the more like um, return you're gonna get for every piece. So the more content and the better your content can be, the there's just, those are the two levers that you're trying to always like increase and get more of. And so even for a piano, I was like, my last coaching session with him, I was like, yeah, I put out like one one reel like every single day. He's like, yeah, like, you put out one reel a day. I put out six every single day, and like 30 across all my different platforms every single day. So like, look at what you're doing. Look at what I'm doing. Like, I mean, like, who do you think is gonna go get there faster, right? That's, okay, right. That's, a, that's a great point. But I mean, the, just like kind of, you can see like the volume of output that you needed and the quality also that you of yourself is like those are two things that I think people underestimate as far as like what's needed to be like a, have a successful following. I agree. I love it so much. So, my man, where can people follow you? Where can people like reach out to you and like if they maybe they have a question, maybe they want to send you a deal. Is there anything else you want to plug? Anything you want to, anything, maybe give your buy criteria in Indianapolis and Hawaii? Like, what do you, what do you want the people to engage with you on? Um, you can engage with me on Instagram. That's like my main, my main platform, Daniel Kong 808. And so send me a DM, send me a like, message me or like a comment on my stuff or share something with me. I'm happy to share or have a DM or discussion of whatever you guys want. Always here to try and like add value or answer questions or help you in your journey that of your passive income and real estate investing too. Love it. And then maybe they want to send you a deal. Would it be in Hawaii and Indianapolis? Hawaii, Hawaii, just, just Hawaii right now. Okay. Are you not, are you pausing in Indianapolis? So we're in Kansas city, but only for commercial properties. Gotcha. So mainly Hawaii. Okay, cool, man. Well, awesome. You absolutely crushed it. I appreciate you so much for coming on here. Are there any last words you have for the people? No, I mean, just thank you for the, the opportunity. Like uh, I've been watching yourself too. And I really like the, what you guys got going on. So like uh, the feeling is mutual as far as just like following each other on social media. I love it, man. No, seriously, it'll be fun. We'll follow each other on social media. At some point, I know we'll be at the same real estate conference and we'll yeah. say what's up yeah. and say what's good. So awesome. Guys, that's Scorch the Fears. Next week, I'm going to be in Puerto Rico. So I don't know if it's going to be 5 p.m. Uh, PST on Thursday. It's going to be with Marlon Johnson and Sam Singh. It's going to be amazing. I appreciate you guys so much for coming on here. This is Scorch the Fears. Thank you again, Daniel. And I will see y'all next week. I love it.